something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are so provided for we are so provided for. We are so. Meet the Heart Kids as they appeared online. This is a family sing along Jen posted to YouTube back in 2013. Devante is on the bongo drum. Abigail is holding a guitar but not playing. And Jeremiah is shaking a maraca while Hannah dances off to the side. They're in a sunny room with a gleaming wood floor, and the shelves behind them are packed with neatly stacked picture books. Happy times, right? It certainly looks that way, especially when Devante pauses to give Hannah a hug. Is it spontaneous? Or is the person behind the camera prompting him with a stern glance? We'll never know. We don't know when Jen and Sarah Hart decided they wanted children. Maybe they always wanted to be moms, or maybe they just felt like kids were the next logical step. Years after they adopted six children, Sarah would tell a colleague that she wished she'd known it wasn't mandatory to have a big family. She was the oldest of four kids. Jen was the oldest of three. We're piecing together the events that led Jen and Sarah from their early days together all the way to the edge of that 100-foot cliff in California. How did they go from being just the two of them, living in Minnesota, working at a department store, to a family of eight in less than three years? From Glamour and How Stuff Works, this is Broken Hearts. I'm Justine Harmon. And I'm Liz Egan. We've been looking into the story of the Hart family for the past six months. In public and on Facebook, they looked like the perfect family. Fun-loving, joyful, and wacky in the best way. But as we've learned, sometimes perfect is the perfect cover-up. In 
In 2004, when Jen and Sarah were in their mid-20s, still living in Alexandria, still working at Herberger's, they took in a 15-year-old foster daughter. Just to give some context, this was the same year Minnesota State Senator Michelle Bachman laid the groundwork for her 2012 presidential run on an anti-gay platform, calling homosexuality, personal bondage, personal despair, and personal enslavement. When thousands gathered on the steps of the Capitol to rally for same-sex marriage, she spoke out to a Christian television network. There's something that's happening in our schools. And one of the reasons why I felt like I was called to take up this issue is because of the profound impact that this would have on every man, every woman, every child in the state of Minnesota. Because everyone thought this would only impact the 1.3% of our population that is a same-sex individual. And again, don't misunderstand. I am not here bashing people who are homosexuals, who are lesbians, who are bisexual, who are transgender. We need to have profound compassion for people who are dealing with a very real issue of sexual dysfunction in their life. It's not funny. It's sad. It's part of Satan, I think, to say that this is gay. It's anything but gay. So this is the backdrop for the world in which the hearts started to build their family. You already met Jordan Smith. She was only 19 when she worked with Jen and Sarah at her burgers. Our field reporter, Lauren Smiley, talked to Smith about Jen and Sarah's first foray into parenthood. They were one of my early role models for what like a non-traditional family could look like. I was 19 at the time. The foster child, she was probably 15. I remember one of them sharing with me a lot of like, this girl is so difficult, she's awful, and that she was eating out of the garbage. It felt like mean girl gossip, you know, like, oh, she's the worst. It didn't feel like they really had interest in developing her as a person and giving her the tools she needed to be a successful adult. And I just felt so sorry for the girl. I wasn't really old enough to realize that, like, these are shitty parents. But even at the time, I just kind of was like, this is a child. She's struggling. Like, something's not right about this. Like, isn't it your job to make her feel more confident and encourage her to have healthy habits? But, you know, I also grew up in the Midwest where I didn't see a lot of, like, great parental models happening. I grew up where people still hit their kids in the 90s. (laughs) Like, in the Midwest, in Minnesota, you became parents at like 21. And let's be honest, you're, you're immature. Like, okay, my brain's still developing until I'm 28. And now I have to develop this other human instead of focusing my energy on, you know, becoming the adult I need to become. Herbergers would have this like friends and family sale and all the makeup counters were filling the books with a lot of makeovers to like drum up more business. And so Sarah and Jen signed their foster daughter up for one of the makeovers as kind of a, let's bring you into our world a little bit. You know, like maybe this is something she would want to learn about. I was the only teenager working at the counters. They thought it would be fun to have her go with another teenage girl. 
So I did her makeover and, you know, I'd say things like she had really pretty skin, which she did. I remember that for some reason. And she was hunched over, like holding herself in. I could tell she did not want to be there. I remember Jen and Sarah, mostly Jen, interrupting and answering questions or being like, she doesn't talk much. I remember them being both very annoyed with the situation. Like, oh, we came into work on a day we're not working and we're doing this nice thing and our foster daughter's being difficult and annoying. I don't remember her being difficult or annoying. I remember her being very insecure and unsure of herself and Jen being very intimidating. I didn't see a lot of empathy coming through. Like, I remember that very clearly and being like, huh, I feel sorry for this girl. After Jen and Sarah died in March, their former foster daughter told the Seattle Times that she never ate out of the garbage. She remembered the makeover. She said she was a tomboy back then and never wore makeup, which would explain her slouched posture that day with Jordan. The former foster daughter, now in her 20s and preferring to remain anonymous, also told the Seattle Times how she remembers Jen and Sarah showing her pictures of the three young children they were planning to adopt. She was thrilled. Jen and Sarah had told her she was going to stay with them until she turned 18, and now she was going to be a big sister. But that's not what happened. They were applying for the children, the first three. They had gone and visited them, and I remember them being really excited. I didn't apply, like, a lot of critical thinking to the situation at the time. I mean, like, if I had my experience now, I'd be like, you don't seem very excited with the child you have. Why do you want three more? But mostly I remember hearing it, like, after I left Herberger's, I'd hear that, like, Sarah and Jen, they got their three kids. Like, they're so happy. I remember vaguely hearing that they dropped the foster daughter off and, like, just abandoned her. And I remember being like, what the fuck? Cold-blooded. Like, oh, Jesus. (laughs) As far as their excitement about getting adopted kids, did you get the sense they really wanted to be moms or? I got the sense that they wanted the validation. Being a foster parent didn't have the clout of having children. Like, they want to be like, we have children that are ours versus a child we're watching. And do you mean validation as in we're a real couple? We're a real, you know... We're a real family. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. 
Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wildcard on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Jen and Sarah dropped their foster daughter at a therapist's office and never returned. She never heard from them again. She was moved to a different foster home. Her belongings were already there. She would not become a big sister after all. She told the Seattle Times she remembers feeling abandoned, devastated. Two years later, in 2006, Jen and Sarah officially adopted those three siblings from the Texas foster system. Marcus, then seven, Hannah, four, and Abigail, two. On December 26, 2015, in a Facebook post celebrating Abigail, or Abby's, 12th birthday, Jen wrote, She was the first of my children I ever held in my arms. Not only is today her birthday, but it also marks the day Sarah and I became mothers. We flew to Houston, Texas, 10 years ago on Christmas Day to meet our first trio of children. Due to a plethora of issues that came up with our flight and then finding the hotel had burned down, we wouldn't meet the children until the next day, December 26th, 2005. We walked into the foster home, a bundle of nerves and excitement. The foster mother called Abby from the upper level. This dainty little peanut walked out, grabbed the railing, walked down the stairs, stood right at my feet, and held out her arms as a gesture to be picked up. I lifted her, and she immediately nestled her head right into my chest with her tiny arms gripped around me. Genuine love oozed out of every pore of my body. I will never know what it's like to birth a child or the feeling of holding your newborn for the first time, but I imagine the feeling is much like what I experienced with Abby. We'll get more into the adoption process later, but just to give you some quick background, Marcus, Hannah, and Abigail fell into several categories that might have made them hard to place with adoptive families. They were Black. Black children are overrepresented in foster care and less likely to be adopted out of it. And it can be more difficult to find families willing to take on multiple siblings. Jen and Sarah had their work cut out for them. They were young, they had no family in the area, and overnight, they became mothers of three. 
10 years later, on the anniversary of the day Jen and Sarah brought Marcus, Hannah, and Abigail home to Minnesota, Jen would revisit their first night as moms in a Facebook post. The post is accompanied by Jen's profile picture. Jen and Sarah Hart, cheek to cheek, their faces mostly hidden behind big sunglasses. Here's what she writes. And bear with us. This is long. But we want to give you a sense of how much Jen really shared on Facebook. A different kind of Mother's Day. March 3rd, 2006. With temperatures in the teens and an abundance of snow on the ground, I wondered what their reaction would be as we paced back and forth peering out the front windows while clenching our phones in anticipation of their arrival. The three-hour flight from Houston seemed like days. Nearly two years of our lives had been dedicated to making this moment a reality. And then, bam, parenthood times three. Jen continues the lengthy post with a rumination on their first day as parents. All the challenges of a lesbian couple trying to break through barriers in a rural community in Minnesota just transformed into a story of hope and triumph. The social worker pulled up in a silver sedan and out came three little humans that gifted us with motherhood. My heart pounded with pure love and the strength of a million drums as we embraced and welcomed them to their home for the first time. To say this was an unforgettable day would be an enormous understatement. It was unforgettable in all the ways we weren't expecting. We had no idea what challenges we would be facing in the coming months, years. I can't even begin to imagine what it would be like for a child that had lived their entire life with inconsistency, abuse, and neglect to be swooped 1,200 miles away to a new place with the promise of, this time it will be different. This is how the first 12 hours of motherhood was for us. The youngest urinated anywhere but the bathroom several times and fell down a flight of stairs, resulting in a bloody gash on her chin. The middle child pulled out chunks of hair and smeared feces on the wall and gorged herself with food until she started choking and needed the Heimlich, resulting in episodes of projectile vomiting. The oldest banged his head repetitively on a rock wall until we were able to safely restrain him. Blood was involved. This was a result of not giving him a king-sized Tootsie Roll that he requested at 9 p.m. It took hours to calm him and get him to a place where we could leave him in his room to sleep. We were physically and mentally obliterated by this time. We went to be absolutely terrified as a million thoughts ran through our minds. As we drifted off to sleep, we were abruptly reminded that our day was far from over. Loud crashes, banging, and strange sounds, slash voices from above us, resulted in us sprinting upstairs to find the eldest in a closet. He told us he was possessed by demons as he growled, clawed, and spoke in multiple voices while continuing to thrash, bite, and bang his head on the wall. My heart was breaking and I was terrified. I was terrified for him, and it would be disingenuous if I didn't admit I was afraid of what he could do to others as well. Hours passed before we were able to get him to sleep that night. Just when it seemed like we could breathe again, the youngest had an asthma attack and stopped breathing. A 1 a.m. ER visit followed. I didn't sleep at all for the first 48-plus hours of parenthood. I cried. A lot. What had we done? We had no experience with these kinds of things. We questioned everything. When the social worker called to check in after the first night, 
We relate everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Her response, just give them whatever they want. We were dumbfounded. That's it? That's the golden advice? In that moment, I knew what to do. We could not give up on these kids. Before we were matched with these children, they were going to be separated and adopted into two different families with the oldest placed in a residential treatment facility. How can a child even know what they want when they haven't ever been gifted with what they need? If not us, who? At 25 years old, we didn't have any parenting experience under our belts, but we had boatloads of love, compassion, intelligence, and the natural instincts to navigate these wild and uncharted waters. There was no way on earth we were going to toss these children back into an incredibly broken and abysmal foster care system. Here we are, one decade and three more kids later. Ten years ago today, we became mothers and began the grandest adventure of our lives. Through the spectrum of despair and utter joy, I give thanks to all of us who have joined this journey of the hearts. Look what love can do. Come assist in writing the next chapter with us. Love, love, love. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wildcard on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right. That's right. 
The adoption records for Marcus, Hannah, and Abigail are sealed, so it's hard to fact-check Jen's claims of health or behavioral issues. But there is no evidence that Abigail, the youngest, had asthma. We also can't verify whether Marcus was going to be placed in residential treatment. The sibling Jen was referring to here may have been the older brother of the Davises, the second set of siblings adopted by the Hearts. Kids Sarah and Jen hadn't even heard of back in 2006. Maybe Jen, 10 years later, was just getting the kids mixed up. There were six of them, after all. Every mom calls her kids by another kid's name at some point. But the night was so momentous for her, one can't help but wonder if she was going for drama over truth. Can you imagine if your mom posted something like this about you on Facebook? Remember, at this point, the Hart kids were teenagers. Marcus was 17, Hannah was 14, and Abigail was 13. Maybe they never saw their mom's Facebook posts, but if they did, they would have been old enough to be completely mortified. Jen and Sarah must have gotten into the groove, because not long after they welcomed their first three kids, a picture of their new family of five appeared on an adoption agency website. They were smiling. Everyone looked happy. This time, Jen and Sarah were seeking up to three more kids of any ethnicity up to eight years old. Two years later, in the spring of 2008, they took in three more foster kids. Five-year-old Devante and his younger siblings, Jeremiah, four, and Sierra, three. The Davis siblings were also from Texas, and they'd been removed from their mother's home in Houston. According to court records, she was a crack cocaine abuser and was forbidden contact with the kids. The records show that Jeremiah had tested positive for cocaine at birth, and the kid's mom had tested positive for cocaine after Sierra was born. They'd been living with their paternal aunt, Priscilla Celestine, for five months. She'd moved from a three-bedroom apartment to a five-bedroom place to make room for them. But then one day, a CPS worker made a spontaneous visit to their aunt's home and found their mom babysitting. The consequences were swift. Devante, Jeremiah, and Sierra were removed from their aunt's home and put into foster care. Shonda Jones, Celestine's attorney, says Celestine had been called into work for an extra shift and needed childcare in a pinch. She was trying to keep her job, so she scrambled for childcare and called their mom, who she says was clean at the time. Jones met the family 10 years ago, but she still remembers their case. Here's how she described it to Lauren. The father's rights were being terminated because I think he had alcohol problems and the mother had drug problems. And so that's why their rights were terminated, which I, I don't take issue with that. In that instance, that was a prudent thing to do. What I always have taken issue with in this case is the harsh manner and the way that they dealt with Ms. Celestine. There was nothing in her background whatsoever. Probably never even had as much as a driving ticket. Um, and to this day, it just seems so strange. It's like, I don't understand, what is the rush? I do think that race plays a part. I think absolutely, I think race is playing a part. You know when people are sitting in the audience thinking that, okay, well, why did the judge just rule that way? I would think if I was trying to adopt a kid and you had a family member that wanted to adopt them, I personally would think that's great. Why should I try to interfere with a family member's adoption of their own family, right? That should kind of like be a clue right then and there that this is a person you don't think can operate in the child's best interest. Let's pause here for a second on that point. Devante, Jeremiah, and Sierra had an aunt who wanted them. She really wanted them. 
but instead they were sent to live with Jen and Sarah Hart, who were soon to be under investigation for child abuse. Yes, you heard that right. We'll get into more on that later. But first, we want you to know a little more about the Hart children, who they really were, as best as we can piece it together from Jen's Facebook posts and our conversations with people who knew them. First, there was Marcus, the one with the big floppy hair. He loved to read and devoured Twilight in one sitting. He wanted to change the world. One Christmas, according to his mom, he asked for a world without cancer. Hannah was the spunky one with the closed mouth smile. Her front teeth were missing. Jen's Facebook posts describe her as dancing and singing. Once, she told her mom she couldn't concentrate on subtraction because she had a song stuck in her head. She must have been a courageous kid, too, because she would later jump out of her bedroom window and run to the neighbor's house to ask for help. Next up, Devante, whose face you might remember from a photo that went viral in 2014. Devante was the boy hugging a cop, tears streaming down his face. He was known for wearing a free hug sign wherever he went. He loved animals and hated Donald Trump. He appeared to have a special bond with Jen. He may have gotten special treatment as a result. Abigail, known as Abby, had big brown eyes and wore glasses. She loved lime green, yoga, and exploring the wilderness. She had homemade strawberry shortcake on her birthday. All the heart kids were arrestingly beautiful, but when you look at pictures of Abigail's face, you feel like you can see the elegant woman she might have grown up to be. Jeremiah wore glasses, too. They called him the J-Man. He was stoic, a survivor. Jen said he wasn't expected to live more than a few days when he was born, what with all the drugs coursing through his system. Instead, he made it to 14. And last but not least, there was Sierra. She was another animal lover. She adored her kitten, Sebastian, and pulled him around the house in a cardboard box. In one of Jen's final Facebook pictures, we see her holding one of her brother's hands, backs to the camera. She's wearing a bathing suit, and her shoulder blades are so pronounced, they look like little wings. In the past several months, Justine and I have seen hundreds of pictures of the Hart kids, but we only have a handful of recordings of their voices. Here's one from 2012. You can hear the kids giggling in the background and Jen's voice as she hands Jeremiah an earthworm. You ready? Yes. Get him. Get him. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? I was excited. <laughs> try, try again. Can you try not to throw him this time? Yes. <laughs> it's like he's trying to catch me. Oh, maybe he loves you. <laughs> Up next time on Broken Hearts. Yeah, I see them. They're right over his head. I know it doesn't look like it, but that bird is really a dove asking us for world peace. No more wars. When I say that Jen was good, she was good. At the time, we were thinking, wow, phenomenal parenting. You're not exploiting your children. Uh, We learned now that there was some abuse charges in Minnesota. There fleeing to Oregon. So there's probably more of a reason why she didn't want to go on national TV. Have you seen Jen's Facebook? Jen loves Sarah to an insane degree. 
Broken Hearts is a joint production between Glamour and How Stuff Works, with new episodes dropping every Tuesday. Broken Hearts is co-hosted and co-written by Justine Harmon and Elizabeth Egan and edited by Wendy Noggle. Lauren Smiley is our field reporter. Samantha Barry is Glamour's editor-in-chief. Julie Shen and Deanna Buckman head up the business side of this partnership. Joyce Pendola, Pat Singer, and Luke Zaleski are our research team. Jason Hoke is executive producer on behalf of How Stuff Works, along with producers Julian Weller, Ben Kiebrick, and Josh Thane. Special thanks to Jen Lance. Have questions for us about this podcast? Reach us on Twitter at Glamour Mag. For access to exclusive photos and videos and documents about the case, visit Glamour.com slash Broken Hearts. If you like what you heard, leave us a review. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.